the Gentiles, which do not have the Mosaic law, but they do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing them witness, their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell, a man who was faithful in teaching the Word of God for more than 60 years throughout the Northwest. Dr. John G. Mitchell often asked a question that is still inscribed on the library wall on the campus of Multnomah University. He asked it of every class and challenged every student with it. Don't you folks ever read your Bibles? It is quite evident that he did. Dr. Mitchell once forgot his Bible in his office when he arrived to teach a graduate-level class on the Minor Prophets. Without a pause, he quoted the scripture for the day, word for word, from memory. Dr. Mitchell knew his Bible. Many were blessed by his Bible teaching, and today we invite you to share in those blessings by listening to the Unchanging Word Bible Study. The name of our study, The Unchanging Word, highlights the fact that God's Word has not changed. What God reveals in His written Word was true in the past, is still true today, and will be true tomorrow. The truth in God's Word was, is, and always will be true. God never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Life begins at Calvary, there my Savior died. He took my place and by His grace came with me to abide. All I need for living is mine by just believing. Life begins at Calvary, life that never ends. Romans chapter 2, verses 13 through 16 is the focus of our study on the Unchanging Word Bible study today. In chapter 2 of Romans, the Apostle Paul gives us four bases for God's judgment of men. The fourth basis on which God will judge is found in our lesson today. Our lesson today deals with the Gentiles. Now, the Gentiles did not have the law of God, which the Jew does have. Well, what about them? How are the Gentiles to be dealt with? Well, in this lesson today, Dr. Mitchell goes on to make this statement. The gospel is the standard, the judge is just, the day is certain, and the judgment is sure. And Dr. Mitchell gives the scriptural basis for each of these statements. So please listen for them. Well, let's turn in our Bible to Romans chapter 2, beginning at verse 14. Here's our teacher to continue our study, Dr. Mitchell. Thank you. Again, we come to our studies in the book of Romans, and we're in chapter 2, the first 16 verses. We're dealing with the fact that God has various ways of judging men. There are four bases of judgment in the chapter. We have found in our preceding lesson that in chapter 1, the gospel was a revelation of the righteousness of God. But the folly of trying to reveal God's righteousness to men when men think they have some of their own. I keep emphasizing this, because if we do not see this fact, we will become distorted in our thinking on chapters 1, 2, and 3. Now, in chapter 1, from verse 18 on, he proves that the Gentile, that is, the great bulk of the Gentile world, 
was given up to uncleanness, to vile affections, and to a reprobate mind. When we come to chapter 2, he has a much more difficult job, and that is to prove that the moralist and the religionist are just as equally guilty as the man in chapter 1. And he's going to judge men, the first five verses, according to truth. Then he's going to judge men according to their deeds. And then he's going to judge men without respect of persons. And we were dealing that in our last lesson. And allow me to go back to it again. This third thing, he's going to judge men without respect of persons, verses 11 to 15. Here it's a question of divine approval, whether Jew or Gentile. God of necessity must judge in absolute impartiality. There could be no favoritism with God, whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Gentile. All have sinned and come short of his glory. And you remember the Jew thought that he was God's favorite, uh, that he had a kind of a pull on God. These poor old Gentiles were dogs. So when the apostle writes, he, in the back of his mind as he writes, he has a Jew in mind. In fact, he comes right out for it here. You remember, uh, those who have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law, but not the hearers of the law are just before God. That's what the Jews were. They were hearers of the law. They boasted about the law, but they didn't keep the law. In fact, again, I repeat it. It says here, uh, the doers of the law shall be justified. But who did ever keep the full law of God? Nobody except Jesus Christ. I say he's not dealing with salvation. He's dealing with how God's going to judge men. And he's going to get right down to your heart, go right after your motives. He's judging according to reality, not mere empty profession. Like today, there are so many people who, who claim they confess that they're Christians, but they've had absolutely no, no relationship to the Savior. And let me say, my friend, very, very dogmatically, the impossibility of man ever keeping the law of God. The law was never given for that purpose. The law was never given to save it was to reveal to man his utter need of a savior. You remember Romans chapter 8, verses 7 and 8 says, The carnal mind, the mind of the flesh, is enmity against God. It is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Now when it comes to the Gentile, in verse, in verse uh, 14 and 15, the Gentiles, which do not have the Mosaic law, but they do by nature the things contained in the law. These having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing them witness, their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. You see, there was a moral law even in the Gentiles, and hence the Gentile was re responsible to do the right and not do the wrong. You know, could I just inject this? There are those who have been opposed to the word of God tell us that Moses, who wrote the legal commandments, uh, which is found in the book of Exodus, uh, chapter 19 and 20, commonly known as the law of the Ten Commandments, that he, that he borrowed those from Hammurabi, the great Babylonian lawgiver. Now, it was true that Hammurabi wrote uh, a code of laws which just about parallel, some of them at least parallel, 
uh, the moral code given by God to Moses. But remember that God had already written in man's conscience, in man's heart, the moral laws of the universe, the moral laws which caused man to know what was right and what was wrong. And you can go, you can go into the farthest tribes of the different parts of the world where they've never heard of Jesus or God or anything. But they know when you steal. They know when you steal. And they have laws concerning that. Some of them don't have laws. They have the opinion they can get away with it. It's perfectly all right. You can steal and get away with it. Well, you might fool man, but you can't surely fool God. For God here says, the very conscience in man, God has not left himself without witness. In the first chapter, the Gentiles were responsible to worship God who made them. In the second chapter, the Gentiles are responsible to do the right and not do the wrong. So we find that both Gentiles and Jews are both equally lawbreakers, whether it be the law of Moses or the law written in their conscience by God. Which brings me, of course, to the last one. By the way, um, I think I ought to make the statement that I made in closing our last lesson. If the Jew claims that, the, that his law of Moses will save him, then the Gentiles can make the same claim that his law, the law of his conscience, can save him. And that's what men today say, if I live according to my conscience. But brother, your conscience has been seared with a hot iron. Conscience, which God put into man centuries ago, has become so distorted that today, even in our present generation, the 20th century here in America, what used to be called sin in our society is no longer called sin. See, our consciences have become, have become, shall I say, under an opiate. And so we, we teach our young people. Uh, we, we fit it so that they have no more conscience concerning sin, as long as, it's, as long as you want to do it, as long as it's love, as they say, which is not love but lust. And think you they're going to dodge the judgment of God? Not a bit of it. As I said a while ago, this is a question of divine approval. If you want to follow that through, I would suggest you take Luke chapter 10 and Mark chapter 10, where you have the lawyer and the rich young ruler. These two men ask Jesus the same question, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And to the one, to the lawyer, he proved that he was, he never questioned about his stand before God, but he did about his neighbor, who is my neighbor. Whereas with the rich young ruler, uh, the issue there was not his responsibility to his neighbor, but to God, and both failed on one or the other. In fact, I would say that only those who are enjoying divine life in Christ can live the life that will please God. Which leads me now to the last one. The fourth ground upon which God will judge men is in verse 16. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. The Jew who had the law, the Gentile who did not have the law of Moses but had the law written in his conscience, in his heart, they must stand in the day when they shall 
stand before God, and God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. He's getting right down now to the very innermost recesses of your being. Remember in John chapter 5, 22 to 30, Jesus said, The Father judgeth no man, but he left all judgment to his Son, because he is the Son of Man. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just. Now, allow me again to quote that verse in Acts 17.31. God is going to, has set apart a day in which he's going to judge the world in righteousness. Who will be the judge? He's going to judge according to that man whom he raised from the dead. Or as the verse says, he's going to judge in righteousness, taking vengeance on them that know not God and who obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. God has set upon a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. And notice he's going to judge the secrets of men. Again I say, he's going to get right down to your secrets. Deeds according to the heart. Secrets are going to be revealed. Motives are going to be judged. Motives are going to be judged. And the doers of the law shall be justified when? When the secrets of the hearts of men are going to be revealed. And God is going to judge men, says Paul, according to my gospel. Do you ever think of that? He's going to judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. You know, I, I oftentimes thought about that when we were talking about Elijah some weeks ago in our studies. Um, God's going to judge the secrets of men according to my gospel. Elijah said the heavens are going to be closed at my word. What's happened? Elijah took God's word and believed it. It became his word. The apostle Paul got a revelation of God concerning his son, concerning the great work of the grace of God, which was completed for us at the cross, and now it's become his gospel. His gospel. God's words become his word. And he says very boldly that the very secrets of men are going to be judged according to my gospel. Allow me to read a couple of verses from, from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 4 to 5, where Paul says, oh, let me read verse 3. But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment or of man's day. Yea, I judge not my own self, for I know nothing by myself. Yet am I not hereby justified. But he that judgeth me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come who will bring to light the hidden things of darkness will manifest the counsels of the hearts. And then shall every man have praise of God. When the Lord comes, he's going to judge the very secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. May I say this? I quote this. The gospel is the standard. The judge is just. As we have you remember in Genesis 18, 25, 
Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Of course, he'll always do the right thing. The judge is just. And the day is certain. As we had in Acts 17, 31, God has appointed a day in which he's going to judge the world in righteousness. And the judgment is sure. As Hebrews 9, 27 says, it is appointed on a man once to die, and after that, judgment. So allow me to repeat that statement. And please put it in quotations. The gospel is the standard. The judge is just or righteous. The day is certain. And the judgment is sure. So when I read these first 16 verses and remember that the very secrets of men are going to be judged by Jesus Christ. The very motives of the human heart are going to be judged by God in his righteousness. I'm certainly happy that I've got a Savior who has put away every one of my sins. My friend, you can back upon one thing. There is a day of judgment coming. See, why don't you preach the grace of God? I will, brother. I don't worry about that. But I think sometimes we close our eyes and our minds to the fact that God is righteous. The moment you tell me that you believe that God is righteous, it means there must be a reckoning, a day of reckoning. And if I am to stand before a righteous God with my heart laid bare, not only my actions, not only my words, but my very motives, my very motives, the very secrets of my life are going to be an open book to him. How do you think I'll stand? How do you think you will stand? Why, you throw your hands up and say, well, nobody can stand. That's right. You're perfectly correct. No one can stand before God as they are. That's why I've got some good news for you. This is why Jesus Christ came. And Jesus Christ came and he bore your sin and my sin and he put it away. Every last one of your sins was put away, atoned for by Jesus Christ at the cross. He appeared once in the end of the age to put away sin. He the just died for the unjust. He the righteous one died for the unrighteous. What for? That he might bring us to God. Oh, isn't it wonderful good news that God has made the provision for you and for me that when you and I stand before God, and remember, he's going to judge according to truth. He's going to judge without respect of persons. He's going to judge according to our works. He's going to judge the very secrets, the very motives of your heart. Believe me, my friend, I'm, I'm glad that I'm going to stand before God in Christ Jesus, his blessed Son, covered with the righteousness of Christ, having a divine pardon, and when a Christian, one who was trusting Jesus, stands in the presence of a righteous, holy God, they stand and will say with the angelic beings, Holy and righteous are thy judgments, O God, in the earth. Do you feel that way? Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. You see, there could be no peace. There could be no rest. There could be no joy. There could be no hope if we had to stand upon our own two feet and the lives we have lived, the things we have said, the things we have done, and the very thoughts we have thought when we stand before a holy God. Not one soul 
in the human race can stand except Jesus Christ, his son. He's the only one who could say, I do always the things that please him. And isn't it wonderful? Friend, isn't it wonderful we are still living in a day of grace? Aren't you glad the wrath of God is not yet poured out upon men? Aren't you glad the day of judgment has not come? That God is still long-suffering to you? That you should not perish? The very goodness of God should lead you to repentance. The very grace of God that holds back the wrath and judgment of God. It's still, he's still long-suffering to you. He doesn't want you to perish. He doesn't want you to be lost. He doesn't want you to come under judgment. He wants you to accept his provision in Jesus Christ, his son. That's why Jesus could say to the people of his day, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And remember, friend, there never has been a person ever come to Jesus with all their sin and shame, with an open heart, meaning business, and accepted Jesus Christ as Savior that was ever turned away. Not one, not one. Am I talking to you, man? Am I talking to you, woman? And you've never received Christ as your Savior? Why not do it? Why not stand before God in the beauty and righteousness of Christ instead of standing before God in your sin and shame? And remember, you might say, Mr. Mitchell, I haven't done very many bad things in my life. I'm not going to question that. What I'm saying is this, that when you stand before God, if you're not in Christ, then you st all, your, all that you've said and all that you've done, even every idle word, every thought, even the, th the very sins you've thought about and wanted to do, will be an open book before God. I tell you, I would rather stand before God in Christ Jesus than stand on my own two feet. How wonderful it is to know that's a faithful saying and worthy of your acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And you can be saved today. And remember, God's going to judge men according to truth, without respect of persons, according to their works. He's going to judge the very secrets of your heart, the very motives by Jesus Christ according to my gospel, said Paul. I would rather, I say, be in Christ, saved, satisfied, with a divine pardon, covered with the righteousness of Christ, than to stand before God in my sin and my frailty. I urge upon you who have never taken Jesus Christ as Savior to take him today, for now is the accepted time. The Lord bless you. Jesus found me, touched my eyes and made me see, broke sin's chains that long had bound me, brought me life and liberty.
you for listening to the Unchanging Word Bible Study today. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word Bible Broadcast. Life begins at Calvary.